mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Is it normal to be incredibly out of breath? Is it normal to be dizzy? Is it normal that my tongue looks like it's been through a shredder? Is it normal to crave crushed ice chippings? Is it normal to have bleeding gums? Hello and welcome to Is It Normal? The Pregnancy Podcast with me, Jessie Ware. We are now at week 37. You're so close. I hope you're doing well. Congratulations. Your baby is now full term or term, whatever you fancy calling it. In this episode, I'll be speaking to Jess McMicking to hear about some things you can be doing to prepare for birth. That day that we all maybe despair about. Some of you are very excited about it. I mean, of course, we get a baby at the end, but um, it can feel quite daunting. Thank you, Jess, for joining us again. Lovely to be here. (laughs) So, Jess, personally, I feel all right. I don't know, I feel like potentially I'm wetting my knickers maybe a little bit more than usual. And then you always wonder whether that's actually your water's breaking. I know my cousin once actually thought her waters had broken and they just said, no, you've wet yourself and sent her home from the hospital. Um, so what regarding waters breaking and uh, just wetting yourself, what is the best indicator of when waters have broken or when you just need to maybe start wearing tenor lady pads? <laughs> no, it, it, very common. I had someone the other day who had just been for a swim and wasn't sure <laughs> what had happened when she got out of the pool. But it was swimming pool water, we decided. Um, so, uh, yeah, so it's hard to know what will happen when your waters break because it'll either be that classic thing that you see on the movies where you're in the middle of the shopping aisle, the floors become wet, you know, everyone cleans up the pile mm. of water that you've left behind. Or it's that sort of, oh, I don't quite know. I've had yeah. little bits of drips. So what, what we technically say is if you don't know and you're unsure, that's when you should seek an assessment. Because obviously as midwives and doctors, we're very used to um, doing all sorts of tests, which could be smelling your pad, um, to be very right. honest with you, because obviously urine smells very different to the amniotic fluid. Or it would involve doing an assessment, which most often involves a speculum exam where we put a little small instrument into your vaginal canal just to check to see if there's any fluid that, are, that is present there. You know, it's not something to feel ashamed or embarrassed if you're unsure. And what we often say, if someone calls up, we might be like, well, look, just put a pad on, watch over the next few mm. hours. You know, if you're finding your pads filling up, it could very well be fluid you know, with a small little leak in your um, amniotic sac. Um, But then, of course, that would involve coming in and getting checked out. I just need to know now, what does amniotic fluid smell like? (laughs) 
Ooh, good question. Not it's, uh, like we. It's different to your eyes. <laughs> okay. It's definitely different to your eyes. Okay, fine. Um, I don't know. I, I, I'm not a wine connoisseur. I could think of some really nice words like woody or, you know. <laughs> Musty. Like that. Uh, Musty. Yes, okay. Chocolate. Okay, <laughs> okay, fine. It Basically, it doesn't smell like we. Fine. Now, Very I kn- different. I know 37 weeks, you know, you'd like to think that you're maybe going to go into labour spontaneously and there's going to come near your due date and you're not going to have those two weeks of waiting after. Um, Now, some things that have been happening to me, I've been getting what I can only describe as fanny daggers and like daggers in my fanny. And I tried to Google it and apparently this is a thing that can um, indicate that labour may be on its way is there a probably a more um professional terminology for the daggers that are in my fan i, I love that my vocabulary has just grown um <laughs> you can use that on uh, so all your what, patients if you want <laughs> i've been described by like sharp pains in the vagina region i yeah. think this might be the equivalent yeah. fanny daggers sharp <laughs> okay. pains in the vagina yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think what that comes down to is the baby's descent into your pelvis. And what it's doing is it's either putting pressure on some of your nerves down that region that's creating the ligament stretch or the um, the pains in your nerve endings. Um, yes, you are right. It, it could be a sign that things are happening. Well, at least changes are happening in your body because you, you know that your baby's head is descending down further. Unfortunately, it won't necessarily predict the day your baby's going to come, but okay. it is definitely a common symptom in these last few weeks. And another one um, that we haven't discussed yet, which actually hasn't happened for me yet, and it's got another beautiful name, the mucus plug. Can we talk about the mucus plug? Because it's quite <laughs> a big deal when this thing comes out of you. Nobody be scared. And, and yeah. <laughs> But please, can you explain what the mucus plug is? Yeah, I must say, I've seen endless photos of people's <laughs> mucus plugs. People love to show a photo of a mucus plug. It's um, amazing how candid we which all get good. near the end of pregnancy. <laughs> yeah. I guess we are preparing yeah. ourselves for that day where you probably will be in your birthday suit. So what's a bit of discharge amongst friends? Yeah, exactly. Um, But no, yes, so you're right. So there can be in some women, and don't fret if you haven't lost your mucus plug, don't get me wrong, but a lot of women, they will lose a mucus plug where you've got your neck of your womb, which is your cervix, and the mucus plug sits just behind it. And it can just be a buildup of gunk, to be really honest. So sort of plasticine almost like, and it can be white, it can be a bit yellow. Um, And what happens is obviously as the cervix changes and softens it might you know accumulate a little bit more of the gunk and then it will drop out and so what you'll notice on your pad is just this big blob of something um yes it it can be a sign once again of things starting to occur in the body it's useful sometimes to let your midwife or your obstetrician know at the following appointment you know oh i think i lost my mucus plug um because that obviously then tells us that you know, changes are happening within your cervical region. Um, and it also means is if you did have any further vaginal loss, you know, potentially your water's breaking, we go, oh, well, actually that makes sense. You know, one's lost their mucus plug already. And once it's gone, it's gone, isn't it? It's not like, oh, do you get another kind of second round of mucus plug or is that kind of... You normally only have one, but I must say people's are pretty big. Like some people's can be quite cumbersome. Um, but yeah, no, once it's gone, it tends to not reaccumulate again. Okay, so there's another one that I just want to ask about. It's about Braxton Hicks. Now, first time mothers and pregnant people may not kind of be 
aware of this sensation, or maybe they will, but Braxton Hicks, let's talk about Braxton Hicks because this could be ramping up at this point. Yeah, so Braxton Hicks, um, for those that may or may not know these, can be, some people call them false labour pains, <laughs> some people call them a nuisance, um, there's all sorts of words for them. But basically it can occur in one's third trimester and some women do feel them, to be honest, around 30-week mark. Obviously, more and more common the, the further you get along your pregnancy. Um, and basically what it is, it's the body preparing in a way, you know, practicing the odd contraction, one might say. They are false labor pains. So what happens with Braxton Hicks is they're not necessarily painful. They're just uncomfortable and they're noticeable. Um, and it might just be, you know, a, a twinge. It might be, you know, a, a little bit of a, you know, pain in the lower abdomen. It might come again, you know, five minutes later, 20 minutes later. Um, they can be provoked. So some women say, oh, whenever I go for a walk, when I get mm. home, I mm. have a few Braxton Hicks. Or once I've had intercourse, I get a few. Um, and so they, they can come on, but they will settle down. I think that's the key thing it's not like labor pains where they come and go come and go and they just keep coming and coming and coming Braxton Hicks will go away and also I'm aware that they come when I'm maybe a bit dehydrated as well yeah, no, that's a really good that's a really good one. The dehydration and also if you've just emptied your bladder or got a full bladder, um, some women report it's the timing with that as well. Yes, when I do a wee in the night, I've always got a hard belly. That's before I do the wee, so it's almost like it, I don't. That's a funny one. Whenever Triggers I wake up, it. yeah, it's like it's woke me up to be like, you need to go for a wee and you've got a hard belly. But anyway, so Braxton Hicks is nothing to worry about. It's actually your ba- it's your body prepping, doing a little warm up before big day. Yeah, so I guess the point of Braxton Hicks is the body preparing itself. What it doesn't do is change or cause the cervix to start to dilate open. So it's sort of more the abdomen and your muscles and your uterine wall sort of experiencing some sort of twinges or false uh, labor type contractions, but it won't necessarily at all change the cervix. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a really good sign that the body's preparing itself. Unfortunately, Braxton Hicks, once again, it's like the mucus plug. It just isn't going to predict when your baby's going to come but it's a positive sign. Now let's talk about, we've talked about Fanny Daggers, um, we've talked about Braxton Hicks and all this preparing. Now there's many other positions babies may be finding themselves in at 37 weeks and people may know about this from their 36 week scan. Um, Let's firstly talk about breech babies. Yes. So breech babies. So what we say is at the end of a pregnancy, usually three to 4% in the UK um, of expecting mothers will have a breech baby. And what breech refers to is the baby's in a, a bottom down position. So what we call like a complete or a flexed or an extended. And so it's the bottom presenting and then the limbs are sort of going up alongside. But you can also have what's called a footling breech where it's actually the foot presenting. That's a little bit more rare. So we'll stick to the more common things. Okay. Um, so with, with the breech baby, Baby, and what we have to do is therefore plan for the delivery. And you will be given options if your baby's breech. Now, first of all, we can offer a procedure called an external cephalic version or an ECV. And that's where an obstetrician or a specialised trained midwife um, will help encourage your baby to do a forward roll so that the baby goes from a bottom down to a head down position. And why we do that is we know that if the baby can flip into head down, you therefore can have a vaginal birth with a head down baby, which obviously is very favorable for its various mm. reasons. Some women may opt not to do that. And that's obviously a very personal choice. Um, and that will be after the discussion with their clinician. 
you can opt to have a vaginal breech baby. And so that means pushing out a baby that's bottom down first. Now, um, there, that is, of course, allowed. But what will have to happen is, you know, you have a discussion usually with your obstetrician and that's to, you know, discuss the pros and the cons to ensure that you get the right support at that time in labour and that you're at a centre having birth where they can provide that support um, and they're happy for you to proceed. And that's just because of the, the, the risks that are involved with that you as an obstetrician would you if the risks seem relatively low I don't know I guess you go into a high risk category with a breech baby you know do you find that lots of pregnant people are willing to birth a breech baby because I've heard such differing stories about the manual turning didn't Kim Kardashian I mean I don't want to scare people (laughs) Kim Kardashian said it was worse than actual labor um and there yeah but there are there are also Online, there's this amazing website called Spinning Babies, which I don't know if we've talked about yet, but which can try and encourage natural ways to encourage the baby to move around. Yeah. And isn't there, in in, um, acupuncture, don't they use moxa as well, this kind of smoking thing? So there are other ways that you could try and do it naturally couldn't you oh definitely so what what we know is the further you get in pregnancy the less likely your baby as it grows is going to flip around but basically what those natural remedies do it's all about relaxation so it's trying to encourage your body and your uterus to relax to let that baby do its sort of somersault um, in its swimming pool. Um, Spitting babies is a really uh, good one. And that's what we tend to, you know, recommend to a lot of women. Um, It's exercises that encourage that forward roll of the baby. The smoky thing that you're referring to, that's a candle, that whole moxie thing. And basically what that candle is uh, designed to do is once again, relax. Some women swear by it. Some people say it's all hocus pocus, but it's not harmful. So, you know, you can take it as as it comes. Mm -hmm. Acupuncture is also a really good one. And once again, it's that relaxation. Now, from an ECV procedure, and I'm really sorry to hear Kim had such a horrible experience, uh, but I've never heard of it being that painful. So I'm not sure who was oh, performing really? okay. hers, but, but anyhow, maybe there's another <laughs> side to that story. Um, but uh, so basically with an ECV, it's just pressure on your tummy. So what we do is, you know, we um, check the baby, we check you, make sure it's safe to proceed. Um, and then we actually inject a little um, medication called salbutamol to relax the uterus. And then with our hands, we basically encourage the baby to do a flip. And that procedure, to be honest, takes under under 10 minutes. It's the monitoring before and mm. after that takes the amount of time. And so what's the success rate with that? Is, there, is it pretty successful? 50%. Um, obviously, that, okay. yeah, so it's not bad. Um, it's obviously operator dependent and there'll be there'll be pregnancies that are probably more likely where the baby's going to term. And that obviously is, you know, where the bottom is. If the bottom's deeply engaged in the pelvis already, that baby is very unlikely to want to turn um, in its sort of somersault. So, and, and, and the baby, it doesn't um, upset or distress the baby, but I guess you'd be monitoring that, wouldn't you? Yeah, so we say that the chances of someone um, needing an emergency delivery on the day of their ECV is one in every 200 women that have an ECV procedure. Now, it actually may be you know, lesser in the actual hospital that you have this performed in, but that's sort of the generic UK um, statistic that we quote. And lastly, I mean, do you, yes, do you find a lot of mothers um, and pregnant people willing to birth a breech baby? And you as an obstetrician, are you 
willing to deliver a baby that's breached? Yeah, so we support it at the hospital where I'm based uh, for the NHS. Now, what's the most important thing is obviously, you know, it's that pre-birth consultation because what you want mm. to do is make sure um, the the woman and her respective partner understand, you know, the mechanisms of a vaginal breech birth. Um, they are aware of the pros and the cons. And then, of course, the big thing is, is they have to go into labour themselves for a vaginal breech birth. We can't get the labour started, such as an induction of labour. It's all got to be something that's got to happen quite naturally. Um, it's also, to be very honest with you, it, it takes a motivated woman to get a successful vagina breech birth. Um, and there are some centres that may not offer it because they can't provide that support. Um, and there might be you know, some women who are also unsuitable for a vagina breech birth. And so it's that consultation beforehand to do the safety checks and to ensure you know, both sides are happy to proceed. Um, that's the key. I had a question. Now, if you are going to decide to go with a C-section after discussions with your um, consultant and you've made the decision that you will go for a C-section or maybe you did, the decision was out of your hands and you are having to have one. Um, if you have an anterior placenta, can that affect a C-section? Because if your placenta is at the top, is that quite dangerous with a C-section? Yeah, so you are right. So some women, when they've got breech babies, they might choose to have their planned cesarean section for the birth. Um, and that normally occurs in your 29th week. It's a really good question about where the placenta is and is the cesarean section itself dangerous. What we know is some placentas can be in the anterior wall, um, which is obviously the front wall of the uterus. So when you're going in in the cesarean, you're going through layer by layer. You get to the uterus, obviously you don't want to sort of be near the placenta. In saying that, where we perform the incision on the uterus or your womb to get the baby out is in the lower segment area. Um, and so that tends to be in the majority of cases, the placenta is well and truly out of the way. There'll be those rare um, pregnancies that will have what's called an anterior placenta previa, where the placenta is not only on the front wall, but it's right down in the lower segment near the opening. Um, and that will be, you know, up to the obstetrician for where they put that incision on the uterus to get the baby out safely. In some cases, we have to go through the placenta um, to get the baby out. But that, of course, you know, is a whole sort of an other conversation. But whatever incision is made, it will be done because it's the safest way um, to get your baby out. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps to detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, 
so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. So we have a question from um, Fiona. I'm going to read it out. It was an email. And it's about transverse baby. I'm currently pregnant with baby number two and would love to be able to have another natural birth at the birth centre. I had my assessment at the birth centre yesterday and they've booked me in. But I've also been told I have a transverse baby. So I do feel that I would love to be able to ask questions about helping to turn a transverse baby. And if there are things I can do myself at home. Thank you, Fiona. Poor Fiona. I, mean, I could feel the, yeah. the, the knee that she wants to have a baby um, at the birth centre. So with transverse babies, so these are a little bit trickier than the bottom down baby. So transverse means that the baby's actually in a sideways position. And sometimes there's a reason it's sitting in the sideways position. And that's always important to have a look. So it might be that Fiona has heaps and heaps of fluid around her baby, or she has a fibroid or something that's made the baby in a really unusual sideways um, position. And that's because, you know, often the head is the heaviest part. And so that's sort of turns the baby sort of into that head down or, or breech position. So when it's sideways, it's um, it's important towards the end of the pregnancy to obviously do all that safety check. Now, some obstetricians may not be keen to turn a sideways baby and that's because there's a reason that baby's sideways um, and what they feel is if they try and turn it just that little bit of a you know 45 degree angle the baby will just flip back again and it won't necessarily stay um, in a head down position. Um, what we tend to do is when the baby is I guess, predicted to be sideways, is that we normally recheck things around 37, 38 weeks, and then we have to put in place a safety plan. In some women, when it's sideways still at that point, it might be that they have to stay in hospital until they actually have their baby. And that's because when a baby's sideways and your waters may suddenly break or you go into labour... Mm you know, nothing's there to actually come down first apart from a baby's hand and the umbilical cord and things like that. So it's something that we discuss a great deal at the end of pregnancy and whatever it is, we put together a safe plan. Um, it may be that unfortunately Fiona may not be able to have a baby at the birth centre, but that's something her obstetrician will discuss with her. But I guess she could try all the natural remedies yeah. um, and options before they get to that point. Uh, good luck for the owner. I hope it's all going okay for you. So we also have an email about the size of the baby. Now, this becomes a big kind of bone of contention and also a bit of a, f a scary time for a mother, a pregnant person that's just had their scan. They have that 36-week scan and they're told that their baby's either quite big or quite small. And that can kind of send you into despair either way especially if you've potentially got four to six weeks left um this is an uh, email from glenn i have my 36 week ultrasound today and the baby weight is estimated at 3.3 kilograms and estimated to be about four kilograms at 40 weeks i'm wondering if the baby will fit through my pelvic bone at 40 weeks or thereafter I was US size zero pre-pregnancy. Also, I'm worried that the bigger baby will result in more serious tearing. Would appreciate advice on this question. Oh, poor Glenn. This is a very common situation um, that we have. And I think, you know, Glenn raises a good point that actually a baby might not necessarily in our definition be big baby, 
but actually for mm. a woman of a petite size, it's a big baby. Um, and I think that's mm. really important. And I, I encourage Glenn to um, speak up about this and her concerns to her midwife, um, because it is true. Some women are really worried about having a big baby if they're quite a small size mm. and the damage it can do. In some hospitals, what we may do when we suspect a baby is big, and that's, you know, predicted on an ultrasound, is we offer an induction of labour around sort of 40 weeks. In some places, it might be in their 39th week. And that's because um, what we know is by inducing the labour a little bit earlier than going, you know, say 10, 14 days over your due date, you've caught the baby before it's done that ongoing growth. And that obviously comes with its pros because it might mean that Glenn's pushing out a little bit smaller baby and therefore she's at less risk of um, birth-related complications. It's hard to predict because we've got to take into account that ultrasounds can be a little bit inaccurate, but also we Mm. actually don't necessarily have a tool that can measure our pelvic cavity and say, oh, yep, your baby's right, you know, your baby's going to fit in beautifully. Mm. Um, And so what happens is women who either come into labour or, you know, they undergo an induction process for a suspected big baby, is we just do our safety checks along the way with our assessment. So it's ensuring the cervix, you know, is dilating appropriately, the baby's head is descending into the, you know, pelvis throughout the labour. And then, of course, when it goes to push out the baby, we have in place um, things to help support the woman in having an uncomplicated vaginal delivery. Now, regarding tearing... What do you think about how successful perineal massage can be and these tools such as, I don't know, that there's two that I know of, Annie Ball and Epi Nose, um, that are kind of like these balloons that you pump up. Like how much would you encourage people to be massaging their perineum? (laughs) Uh, Massaging the perineum, I would strongly support. I I actually think, you know, it's also, I, I know it sounds a bit, strange but it gets you in tune with your body as well I think that's an important thing it's almost your bonding with your perineum I guess um, you don't necessarily need to buy fancy gels or moisturizers you can use olive oil or butter as well um, mm-hmm. some people do mm-hmm. um, they some women encourage their partners to do it for them um, as well and so that's some ways you know a nice little family thing to do in the evenings also I guess the devices that you've mentioned um, they are super useful um, and I've had women that have used them quite successfully and then gone on to have uncomplicated vaginal deliveries because that perineum has been able to stretch and accommodate a baby um, quite effectively. You know, these devices, you know, we can't always promise things won't get complicated, but they are a useful tool if that's something you want to consider using. And if you use them effectively leading up to the birth, um, they definitely carry their advantages. Just don't do what I did last night um, where the Annie ball which actually my midwife recommended because I'd used an epino before. And the Annie ball kind of takes it to another level where you're supposed to kind of birth this balloon out. Have you heard about this, Jess? Yeah. <laughs> so I am competitive with myself and obviously pumped it up too big and then tried to birth it out too quickly because I wanted to see that I could do it. And I freaking grazed my insides of my yeah so basically I was bleeding after it wasn't too bad it was quite superficial bleeding but now I'm out of the game for a few days with the stretching because I'm not putting any oil up there I'm gonna have to put like tea tree oil and olive oil or something just to kind of make sure it's all okay and I feel like a bit of a fool and it bloody hurt so just don't try and be the winner of the Annie ball just yeah gentle and baby steps because actually I think 
what you'll realize is your body does miraculous things on on the actual day that maybe it won't do on the um, three weeks before so yeah that was a, a really sore lesson that I learned last night um <laughs> So let's talk about birthing partners and the role of the birthing partner. How much should a birthing partner prepare at this stage? Yeah, so birthing partners are definitely something that we support. And I think that's been the, the particular challenging part of COVID um, because it's mm. it's restricted a woman either choosing an additional partner to be there with her. And so that, that's, that's unfortunately um, something that we've probably seen a bit less of, but with time, hopefully we'll pick back up. Now, the role of a birthing partner, I don't want to put pressure on lots of people out there, but it's actually a huge role um, because whether or not you're um, the woman's respect partner or you're an extended family member or someone that the woman's chosen to have as their birthing partner, your job is to really support her from early labor right up until after the baby's born. What they've actually Mm -hmm. shown is by having a really supportive birth partner and providing the woman with encouragement, that actually reduces her chances of needing intervention in labor. So whether that's an instrumental delivery or something else, actually it's that mm. birth partner that can really change that statistic, uh, which is, which is, you know, makes sense really. From a birth partner perspective, you know, what is your role? Well, you know, what it's important is whoever you're being your birth partner for is to explore to them what their perfect labor is like. So it may be that you're the person that puts on the music playlist or you count the number of contractions or, you know, you're encouraging them to breathe with their hypnobirthing. You know, your what you have to work out is what do they want you to do and how do you best support them? Um, what's it's important as a birth partner is making sure you're ticking all those boxes. So it may be knowing what birth, her plan is for um, pain relief, knowing what the mm-hmm. snacks are for labor, you know, in bringing mm. along um, the fluid um, that she might want to be sipping on, what kind of environment um, you want to create in that room, whether it's fairy tea lights, all those sorts of things. Um, but that that's what your role generally is. And I guess we talked about that with um, Izzy and Sophie in a previous episode about birth plans. But I guess what would be important to say is that you need to have those conversations before the day of labour so that you're not going, can you do that? I mean, my mate said to me the other day, she says she'll she'll never forget her husband, who she adores and is a wonderful man, reading the instruction manual for the TENS machine oh. when she's asking him to put it on and she was just wanted to kill him. I was going to bring that up specifically. I always say to women, if they get a TENS machine, practice beforehand you know on the day is not the day to learn to put on your tens machine (laughs) yeah she and and then and also I guess things can change with how you you discuss and you prepare and you think about what's best for you both and and for you who's birthing the baby but um things can go out the window like you may be like I really want you to massage and da 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 and then actually on the day you don't want anyone near you so I guess the birthing partner needs to be um quite uh flexible Flexible is probably the word Flexible. and go with the flow as well. I think that's the other thing. Um, yeah, it's it's exploring how do you best support, but then keeping in mind labor 
and the baby can do all sorts of things. They're just going with the flow. I guess yeah. also ask them whether they you want the photos being taken or find out. <laughs> or I always when, think it's important when. to find <laughs> when and also find out if there's any good midwives that take a good photo because I bet you there are and they're usually probably better than your birthing partner. Um, who's focusing on your well-being a bit more than the, the the perfect shot? And the other thing is always take a phone charger. Birthing partners could have should have that fit spare phone charger. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, thank you, Jess, for taking us through some of the bits and bobs of thirty-seven weeks. Um, what's going on with the baby? I mean, is the the baby's fully cooked by now? Fully developed? <laughs> Yeah, so babies at 37 weeks are called term babies now. So, you know, they can come when they want. Um, yeah, everything is is there functioning. Um, the baby's always born a very good weight. Um, and obviously, there's a variation in what your baby will be weighing at this point. But, you know, on average, it's around three kilograms um, at this point in time. Sometimes it can be a little bit smaller, which is normal. Sometimes it can be a little bit bigger, um, such as Glenn's um, baby was. Um, but it's, it's called a term baby. With time the baby's IQ apparently will continue to progress but I must say if you have a baby at 37 weeks don't fret at all Um, your baby's perfectly safe to be born that's really really good news and thank you so much chatting to us today we'll see you for the next episode yeah thank you so much for having me (laughs) bye Thank you so much for listening. I hope that was helpful and I'll see you for the next episode, which is week 38 and we'll be focusing on induction methods and early labour. Jess will be back with me and I'll be joined by reflexologist Anna Lee, who I swear I couldn't have done without. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.